Welcome to the Hope Elam Podcast. We are a diverse church in the heart of Des Moines, seeking to bring God's kingdom as we live more like Jesus. We hope that what you're about to hear points you to Jesus Christ. Know that we're praying for you and look forward to connecting with you soon. Awesome. Thank you, Brandon. Good morning, Hope Elam. Let's try it again. Good morning, Hope Elam. It is so good to see all of you here today. I want to welcome those that are worshiping with us from all over the country, believe it or not, uh, this morning, as well as those of you in the room. Is anybody ready for Christmas? You ready for Christmas? It's going to be awesome. As you heard in the announcements, so many exciting things. And as you leave today, be sure to grab several of those postcards because we want to encourage you in this season to invite those family and friends that may not have a church home, uh, may not want anything to do with the church, but hey, they'll come and check out Christmas. Make sure you give some of those to your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, and we would love to connect with you in that way. Can we give God praise for our worship team one more time this morning? Praise God. So thankful for them. As we get started this morning, I want to ask you a question. Does anybody find that one of the hardest things in life is learning how to wait? Anybody with me on that? Anybody feeling extremely uncomfortable in those four seconds of silence? Okay, So we have a hard time waiting. One of the hardest things to do in life is to wait for it, is to wait for whatever you are waiting for. Chances are, I've never met anybody like this. Maybe you have, maybe you are this person, and you just love to wait. Anybody just love to wait? I just, oh, all right. Nobody, right? I've yet to meet anybody that goes to the grocery store, and then when they see all the lines are long, say, you know what? I'm going to purposely go in the longest one. I'm just, I'm going to do that. I'm going to get in the lane of traffic. I'm going to get in the gas line at Costco that's the longest, just because I love to wait. Life is all about waiting. As many, especially this time of year, and as a lot of you did uh, a few weeks ago, maybe you decorated your house for Christmas. Uh, We decorated our house for Christmas here. We have a few Christmas trees uh, around God's house, but chances are you put up your tree, you decorated your house. We did that at the Anderson house, and we got our tree up, and we literally just put the stockings up, and then maybe wrapped a couple presents, just so that there was something under the tree. Not not very many, but we literally just put a few presents, and our kids, they're old enough now to realize this. They look at it, can we open presents now? Can we open presents now? We can't wait. We can't wait, right? And, and, and we said, no, actually, there's a whole other month before you can open those gifts, and they're not even for you. So, bah humbug, right? No, we didn't say that. But it is hard to wait. And between us, I don't just think it's for children. I don't think it's something that kids struggle with. I think it's something that we as big kids struggle with as well. Whether it's waiting at a stoplight or the grocery store or waiting for a job change or a promotion or your relationship status, the reality is is that we don't like to wait. And a part of that is that we are surrounded, we live in a culture of immediacy where we have everything at our fingertips. We want everything, we want what we want, when we want it, now. You have a power of a supercomputer, most likely, in your pocket right now, in your phone. You have the ability to find any information in the world in a split second. We were at a friend's house the other day that had cable, 
and uh, their commercials came on. And our kids, it was, it was like they were from another planet. They didn't know what to do. They, they were like, can, can we get back to the show? And I said, children, let me explain something to you that have been born uh, in the last 10 years. These are called commercials. And for a lot of us, we had to wait for them growing up. So that was a mind-boggling experience for them. We do not like to wait. We have been conditioned that we think there is some sort of fast-forward button in life, but there's not. And it's especially difficult if you are waiting for something with God. If you've been praying about something. Some of you walked in here today and your heart is heavy because you've been waiting on something for God for a long time, for breakthrough in some way. You've prayed the prayers. You've done everything that you know how to do. And it still seems like God is silent. Ever been there? Still seems like God is not around. There is no fast forward button for life. Maybe it is a relationship status or finding a job or getting a different job or simply waiting to get your next paycheck so you can pay the bills. Maybe it's waiting for your spouse or a family member to have that change of heart that you long for them to have, that they, that they would be more uh, in tune with following Jesus, that they would trust Jesus, that they, they would soften their heart because there's tension between you and someone else. Maybe you're waiting for companionship and you long for that special someone. Maybe you've heard yourself say or somebody you know say time and time again, I don't know if I can wait any longer. Well, the good news is that we're not alone. Enter the season of Advent. I know that all of you just shot up out of your beds this morning. You were up at the, at the crack of dawn. You wanted to come to the first service because you were already up because you realized it was the second Sunday of Advent and you were so pumped to get to church. Okay, maybe not. But uh, it is the season of Advent and this is a season all about, wait for it, waiting and anticipation and hope-filled waiting at that. These four Sundays, these four weeks that lead up to the celebration of Christmas and the birth of Christ, and that's why we've lit two candles up in our Advent wreath today. And even if you didn't grow up in a setting, a traditional church setting where they had an Advent wreath and candles and all of that, the thing that unites us, the thing that I hope that you can relate to today, is that you know how hard it is to wait sometimes. And we think that we've waited a long time for something. Well, centuries ago, thousands of years ago, prophecies were made by prophets, essentially people that spoke on behalf of God. God made promises through them that he would send a Messiah, that he would send a Savior, that a Savior would come to set everything right and put the world back together and save all God's people from their sins. And so they made these promises, and yet it took a long time, as we know, for them to come true. Certain promises like this from the prophet Isaiah. Let's read this together nice and loud from Isaiah chapter 7. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will give you a sign. That prophecy, from the time that prophecy was given to God's people, from the prophet Isaiah, to the time that Jesus was born, get this, 700 years and you think the line at the grocery store is long, right? Can you imagine waiting for something for 700 years? And that wasn't the only prophecy. There are hundreds of prophecies that were foretold in the major prophets and the minor prophets. All those books in the Old Testament that don't make a lot of sense, they all whisper Jesus' name. The entire Bible points to Jesus. And yet there are decades, centuries, 
thousands of years even sometimes that stand in between those promises and when Jesus came. In fact, there is a period in history known as the intertestamental period. Now that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big time. Intertestamental period. And what that is is 400 years between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. You want to impress your coworkers, just say, hey, you want to talk about the intertestamental period with me for a little bit? No, sounds terrible. Um, there's 400 years between there when God was literally silent. You ever felt that way? God, you've abandoned me. God, do you care anymore? God, are you even hearing my prayers? God, nothing is changing. Well, what we've discovered, and hopefully you will discover today as well, God's people, we know the end of the story. We know that Jesus did come. We know that those prophecies were fulfilled. And hopefully we can see now what they didn't know, but we know now is that God's silence does not equal his absence. Amen? Some of you need to hear that this morning in your life. God's silence in your life does not mean his absence. He's never left. If you think about it, in that 400 years of silence, it was anything but silent because God was preparing the biggest invasion into enemy territory ever. This puts D-Day to shame. God was preparing the biggest breakthrough into human history ever. And so maybe it is in those times when you feel like God is so far away that he could not be closer, that God is preparing you today for a breakthrough, even in your perceived silence. Amen? God is with you, and he is for you today. The problem is, (laughs) if we're honest, and we're in church, so we should be honest, we don't always live like that, do we? Are you like me, and you're just a terrible waiter? It is really hard to wait, especially when God seems silent. And here's the hard thing about waiting is that usually there's some kind of pain associated with waiting. Whether it's emotional pain or physical pain and an ailment that you have or an illness or a sickness. Maybe it's spiritual pain. Maybe it's relational pain and you're waiting for something to change in your life. And so because we're humans, we want to resolve that pain as quickly as we can. Parents, you know this. When your kids and your grandkids get sick, isn't it the most helpless feeling in the world to know that you wish you could, I mean, you give them some Tylenol or whatever, but God's the only one that can heal them. And so you learn that trust. Like, I would do anything to help you feel better. My son, my daughter, my grandchild. And it's a helpless feeling. We want to make that pain go away as quick as we can. And so what we do is that we try to cope. We try to fix it as soon as we can. And I think as I look at my own life and the people around me, we try to cope in the waiting in a couple unhealthy ways. And the first one is that we try to take control. Any fellow control freaks out there, don't lie, you're in church. Okay, Um, I'm a control freak to the point where maybe some of you are like this when you're in traffic and you're driving along and you're going along on the interstate and somebody's going like 40, 37 miles an hour, you're like, you, this is, t- and, and you, every ounce of you wants to just slam, put the pedal to the metal. I've done this before. And you just go, and you rev your engine and you just go around him. And then you get right in front of him. You're like, ah, oh, I feel better, right? In our humanness, we've all done that. Yes, pastors have road rage once in a while. You can ask my wife. We love to take control of things. The problem is we do that with God. How many of you have been in a situation in your life and God is holding out on you or so it seems and you say, well, I've done everything I can do, God. I've waited long enough and so I'm taking the situation into my own hands. Anybody ever done that? I know I have, right? Does that ever go well? No, but we keep doing it. 
time we buzz ahead of God. I don't want to run ahead of God. I don't want to lay behind God. I want to walk with him. Amen? And I know that you do too. God wants us to wait for him. And so sometimes what we do is if we can't control our circumstances, we control other people. We try to control our spouse. We try to control our kids. We try to control our friends. We try to control our coworkers and make everything the way that we want just so that we'll feel good, but it never works. That is the story of the Old Testament, by the way. Just pick a story. Just open up your Bible, the Old Testament. Chances are it's a story of God's people trying to control the situation and getting ahead of God. That's why about a three-week journey from Egypt to the Promised Land took 40 years. If only you would have listened, God says, over and over and over. Well, in our waiting, in our coping mechanisms, if that doesn't work, if we can't take control, then we do the next thing, which is even more subtle, and that's we try to numb the pain. We try to numb the pain. Right? We want the pain to go away, so I understand that's a good thing. And when you have pain, that's a sign of healing. But instead of going through the process and inviting Jesus into our pain, we have a lot of what I would call emotional band-aids that we like to put on the pain. I'm tired of waiting, so I'm going to go to the bottle, and I'm going to go to the substances, and I'm going to just continue to scroll through my phone, even though it's not doing anything for me. But I know I'm just going to get that little shot of dopamine in, in, in my brain to make me feel good if I get one more like or one more mention or one more click to make me feel good. And I'm going to keep all the notifications on in my phone just so I feel important. And meanwhile, you are crumbling inside. None of those things. I'm going to, I'm going to go to Netflix, and I'm just going to binge watch this. and, and all. Hear me say None of those things are bad, but you got to ask yourself, whatever you're running to, and maybe you're running from relationship to relationship, man, it seems like they're, they're dating someone here, and then they're dating someone here, and they got divorced here, and now they're with this person, and they're still unhappy, and they're bouncing from here to here to here. A really good question to ask yourself, no matter what your emotional band-aids are that you try to numb the pain with, just ask yourself and be honest, why am I doing what I'm doing? Is it coming from a healthy place that's actually going to bring rest and restoration, or am I just sticking a Band-Aid on it? No, you actually, some of us, including myself, have some deep, deep wounds. And the only way that they're going to get healed is going through the process of the pain. Jesus is inviting you into that because here's a promise for you this morning. While you're waiting, God is working. While you're waiting, God is working. And it's not some quick fix that's going to get it done. That is also the story of God's people from beginning to end. And because of that, because of that promise, because we know that God comes through, that's the story of Christmas. We wouldn't be celebrating that in a few weeks unless we had a God that says, I am going to restore you and your relationships and your spirituality and your emotional health and your mental health and your physical body. I have come to set you free. And Christmas is evidence of that. Christmas is proof of that. Can I get an amen in the house? Is anybody with me? this morning. That's what we celebrate on Christmas. So you don't have to cope in those unhealthy ways. You don't have to keep sticking a band-aid on it. Jesus said, let's rip the band-aid off and let's deal with it. That's why this is such a hard time of year for so many people. Because it brings back all those memories and you're like, well, wait a minute, I'm not healthy and I'm not whole. Maybe one of the reasons Jesus came on Christmas is not for you to sing a few Christmas carols and get some warm fuzzies. Maybe he came to set you free. Maybe he came to heal your heart. Maybe he came to heal your emotions and your body and your mental health. Jesus is interested in all of that stuff. And because those promises of God are true, you don't have to waste your waiting. Some of you need to hear that today. You don't have to waste your waiting because God is at work. And nobody knows that better than a man named 
Zechariah. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open up to Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. And we're going to meet a man that has done quite a bit of waiting himself. Zechariah, Luke chapter 1. If you're new to the Bible, that's awesome. If you can't remember the last time that you opened a Bible, that is totally fine. We're so glad that you're here. Luke chapter 1. Luke's one of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is a often uh, skipped over story in the Christmas story, but it is so important. We're going to start in verse 5, and we discover the story of a man named Zechariah, and he's a very, very elderly man, and so is his wife, Elizabeth. And we pick it up in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, which that's just really fun to say, Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron, and both of them, get this, were righteous in the sight of God observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Verse 7, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. So talk about a life lived in waiting. (laughs) You think that you've waited a long time. Zechariah and Elizabeth are nearing the end of their life and they've had one big plea, one longing, one request, and that is to be parents. Not even grandparents, just parents to conceive a child, but they weren't able to, and yet I don't want you to miss this. Instead of taking control when we're waiting, instead of trying to numb the pain, Zachariah and Elizabeth are going to show us two healthy ways to wait God's way. And the first truth about waiting, watch this. In the midst of it, (laughs) their waiting wasn't passive. It was very, very active. Okay? That's the first truth about waiting on purpose, is that they actively pursued God. Look back at verse 6. Zachariah and Elizabeth are described as righteous in the sight of God, observing all of his commands. It doesn't say Zechariah and Elizabeth followed God until they got their feelings hurt and they got a little bitter because God wasn't answering their prayers and they said, forget about it, we're done, and they threw in the towel. That's not what Luke chapter 1 says. They were holy and blameless, observing all of his commands. Their obedience was not based on God's timing, it was based on God's character, Amen. Their obedience was not based on how they feel from day to day and whether God had come through for them or not. God is not a vending machine. Because if he was, Zechariah would put in all the correct change. I've prayed the prayers. I've read the Bible. I've gone to church my whole life. I've been holy and blameless. I've done everything you want, God. And yet, he didn't get what he asked for. So there's got to be something more than that. But instead of letting their unanswered prayers drive them away from God, it forced them to drive towards God, to run to the loving arms of God. I love how pastor and author, my favorite author is Rich Velotis, puts it, and this really stuck with me this week. What God does in us as we wait is often much more important than what we are waiting for. Some of us need to just kind of let that one sink in for a second, okay? How many blessings, how many things along the way are you going to miss? And it might be the person that's sitting right next to you today because you're so focused on what's out there. You're so focused on getting that figured out that God says, I've never left you. I've been with you the entire time and don't miss what's right in front of you today. Don't miss it. Not only uh, this pastor and author, but there's another wise teacher out there that I think has something to say about trusting the process and waiting that God wants to take us through, the process of praying, the process of becoming who God wants us to be. Another, another great philosopher, his name was Kirk, and he uh, coached a certain football game last night. So, first of all, for those of you that were here for the announcements, I don't know why we let a guy wearing a Michigan jersey get up on this stage today. That's, 
borderline heretical, but I love Mike, so we'll let it slide this time, and I asked him to change. Uh, but check this out. I was scrolling through my Twitter, you know, trying to numb my pain. I'm just kidding. Following the Hawkeye football on Twitter, and I was thinking about the message this weekend. Kirk is the longest-tenured college coach in, uh, in college football right now. He's coached hundreds of players, made millions of dollars, sent, sent hundreds of players to the NFL. And he says this, the best part of coaching is the money. Nope. The best part of coaching is championships. Uh, nope. The best part of coaching is relationships with players and watching them develop and succeed in life. The heart of coaching is caring for the other person. The game and the score is important, but how you treat each other will define you. What if it was less about the trophies and the money and the payout and the corporate sponsorships or getting whatever it is that's at the top of that ladder for you? And what if it's the type of man or woman that you're becoming along the way? Coach Campbell for Iowa State would say the same thing. Trust the process, right? There are some, there's something that they figured out All of that other stuff isn't going to satisfy. But you watch interviews with these coaches, what gets them emotional more than anything else is talking about the relationships with their players, about doing life with them. And somehow as Christians we think, no, I just want to get my prayers answered. And God says, no, 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 you're missing it. You're missing the joy along the way. It's about who we are becoming. When I think about the characters of Zechariah and Elizabeth, I'm drawn to Psalm 37, verse 4. Let's put that up here together. Psalm 37, verse 4. Let's read it nice and loud together. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, that seems easy enough. And a lot of times in Christian circles, the verse is interpreted this. Oh, I've been waiting for some things for a long time, God. And, and here's my here, and there's my there, and I want to get from here to there. So all I need to do to get God to give me what I want is just pray a little bit more and say the right things and go to church pretty often and read my Bible and be a good little Christian, and then God will make all my wildest dreams come through. And I know some of you are like, no. But we live like that. God, I'll scratch you back and you scratch mine. God's not Santa Claus, and he doesn't have some sort of list. There's no one righteous, no, not one. And that's why we need grace, amen? There's, that I, it, it, that's not biblical and it's not helpful. And second of all, when we take verses like this out of context, we're always gonna miss it. And so let's go back to Psalm 37, but let's look at what's before and after in verses three and five. Before we get to delight yourself in the Lord, we get trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and what? Cultivate faithfulness. Everybody say Cultivate. Cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. There it is. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Rest in the Lord. Oh, wait. And what? I don't want to do that. I just want what I want. And wait patiently for him. Sometimes we got to look at what's around it. We discover that God isn't the vending machine that we thought that he was. Instead, the psalmist writes, as you wait, instead of navel-gazing at ourselves day after day and falling into the deadly trap of comparison, this entire passage is actually about cultivating faithfulness by dwelling in the land, by putting your roots down. When I think about cultivating, I think of farmers as they turn over the soil and they till the soil so that that seed can be planted in your heart. You see, sometimes the thing that we're waiting for is that it's not ready. Whatever that thing is, sometimes it's not ready, and sometimes we're not ready. Sometimes we're not ready to receive what God wants to give us. Could it be that when we delight ourselves 
in God that his desires actually become our desires and that's how prayer gets answered? And what if that was the whole point of prayer anyway, not for God to get on board with my agenda, but to say, God, what is your will? What is your agenda? And I want to align mine to that. And then it's not our prayers and God's will. They get aligned and we pray in the spirit and we walk with God in the spirit. Notice it doesn't say in this verse, and I want to clarify something. Some of you are saying, oh, okay, so I just need to be a good little Christian and just put all of my dreams and longings and desires to the side and just be a good person. I'm just going to kill desire. It doesn't say that. If there's a here and there's a there that we all long to get to, what's in between is called desire. And to be human is have to des- it's to desire. And to kill your desire is to pretend that you're not human, which you are. Every single one of us. This verse isn't about killing desire. It's actually the exact opposite. It's about getting busy, passionately living for the things of God now. Waiting is not passive. It's getting busy, becoming who God longs for you to be anyway. It's about being that man or that woman and loving and serving. There are so many people that I talk to in this weird season that we're in. They're trying to figure out, like, how do I connect with the church? And I'm here, and I love Hope Elam, and I I don't know how to get involved. And and they hear about all these opportunities, and I hear some people say, you know, it's just not a very good time for me right now. Or it's not a very good season for me right now. And I, I just don't know if I'm ready to love and serve and get involved. This image popped into my head this week, which is why we have this little table up here. I I had this image of you're sitting in a restaurant, and a lot of us will live our Christian lives this way, is that we've got our menu, and and, uh, and God is actually our our waiter, and he comes over, and he takes our order, and, and we tell him what we want, our desires, and we give him a little money and say, now go make that happen for me, and I'll just sit here, God, and wait on you. And most of us will live our entire adult Christian lives in that chair waiting on God because God is our waiter and he's over here and why is my food taking so long? (laughs) Why is my job taking so long? Why is that relationship taking so long? And God's just over here kind of giving us the stink eye. We think like, God, why, why are you taking so long? And what popped into my head this week, what I want to challenge you with in this idea of waiting on God is that maybe it's time to flip the script. Maybe it's time that in our waiting is that we are called to wait on God. I mean to put the bib on to get the serving towel out and come over and that God's in the chair and we are here to wait on him. Amen? Maybe it's time to flip the script in your life and to come over and say, God, I'm waiting for some things in my life, but I'm actually here for you and what you want for my life. And so I want to listen to your order and your agenda and I want to be obedient to that. And as I wait, I'm going to wait on you. Amen? I'm going to wait on you. And I'm not going to wait for the perfect time and I'm not going to wait for the perfect season because we're called to be obedient to what God's already told us to do. Sometimes we wait and we say, God, speak to me, speak to me, speak to me. We pray and we pray and we pray, but we've never read our Bibles and so we don't know and we're not even obedient to what God's already called us to do in 66 books of the Bible. How are you going to know what God's telling you to do if you haven't taken the time to read what he's already called you to do? To wait on God, to God to say, I'm here for you and I'm going to serve and I'm going to be a part of what you're doing in a very practical way. And I don't say this to fill some volunteer spot or something like that. I say it because I see the joy on the people's faces that served you your eggs this morning and your French toast. Can we give God praise for French toast? Holy smokes, that was good, right? You want to know who the most joy-filled people are in this church? The ones with all their prayers answered. Nope, that's not true. You want to know who the most joyful people are in this church? The people that served you breakfast this morning. 
the hospitality team that welcomed you this morning, the worship team that's serving, the production team that's serving, the people that are watching your kids and Hope Elam kids and nursery right now, the people with the most joy serve. They got busy becoming the man and woman of God that God's already called them to be. In my waiting, I will serve you. In my waiting, I will love you, Jesus. In my waiting, I will worship you. In my waiting, I will be everything that you've called me to be. And I trust you that that's enough, that that's half the battle. That's what we long, that's what God longs for anyway. And that's what I love about the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth. Hear me say this. They didn't let their unfulfilled expectations getting, get in the way of living for God wholeheartedly in that season of life. And that can be true whether you're 8, 18, 28, 38, or 88 this morning. Every single one of us has a season in life. And my challenge for you this morning is, when is going to be the perfect season? Because if you're waiting on that, it's never going to happen. That's one thing that I can tell you. Don't let your unmet expectations derail you from what God has certainly called you to do today. Today. Nobody knows what that's like to pursue everything God has for you and feel like God is silent and yet see that breakthrough. Not only Zachariah and Elizabeth, but another favorite character of mine, and his name's Rudy. And no, he's not in the Bible. But he's in one of my favorite movies. And I want to show you a scene I've never shown you before. And I'm not, spoiler alert, the movie came out in the early 90s, so too bad. Uh, Rudy's dream, of course, is to play football for Notre Dame. And everything in his life, that is his biggest longing, that is the biggest thing that he's been waiting for. And he finally gets into to Holy Cross, uh, two-year college, junior college, and yet he keeps getting denied. Not, not even, you have to be going to Notre Dame to play football for Notre Dame, so that's the hoops he's got to jump through, and he can't even get in. He gets rejection letter after rejection letter after rejection letter. We all know what that's like, and luckily he has some good friends and leaders and mentors in his life to remind him that there is a process to your pain. And if you will invite Jesus into the process of your pain, you just might find God even in the silence. Take a look. There are moments in our lives when just like Rudy and just like Zachariah and Elizabeth, we have questioned God and asked, is it worth the wait? And that it's so easy in our human tendencies to let that waiting lead to bitterness, to take control, to try to numb the pain, or worse off, we just become a cynic and we leave no room for God. We're so angry at him. We've clenched our fist at God, but when your fist is clenched, it's not open and so there's no room to receive. So we can't default to that. We can't get angry and bitter at God. Thankfully, Rudy had another friend. You heard in the scene, his friend Fortune reminds him what Pastor Velotis did earlier in the sermon, what God does in us while we wait is often more important than what we are waiting for. If you are so focused on the end result, you're going to miss all the blessings along the way. I want you to hear this loud and clear this morning. Whatever season you're in, however long you've been waiting, your waiting is not wasted. Your waiting is not wasted. We have story after story after story in God's word where angels will come or prophets will come and they will remind God's people that your heavenly father has heard every single one of your prayers. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and those who are crushed in spirit, the Psalms remind us. What difference would it make in your life if Jesus of Nazareth walked in those doors this morning and walked up here and looked you in the eyes with those loving, kind eyes and said, I've been there the whole time. I've heard every single one of them. 
Your waiting is not in vain because while you've been waiting, I've been working. And that is story, certainly the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And what the angel Gabriel says to Zechariah as he goes in this priestly role to go and bring incense to the temple and to the fire in the temple and the holies of holies, God meets him right there. And the angel Gabriel says this, verse 13, but the angel said, do not be afraid. First of all, why would an angel need to say, do not be afraid? Well, I hate to break it to you, but angels in the Bible are not chubby cabbage patch dolls that are floating in the sky, okay? They are warrior angels that defeat tens and hundreds of thousands of armies single-handedly. So if an angel comes in the Bible, which they often do, and you hear, do not be afraid, chances are you should be afraid, okay? Do not be afraid, Zechariah, but listen to this. God has heard your prayer. You can take that to the bank. That promise is for you this morning. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. Oh, and be a grandpa. No, you're going to be a dad. You're going to be a dad. And they learned that, that she will not just give birth to any baby boy, but to John the Baptist. Now, they named him John, not John the Baptist. That was later on. That was his nickname, right? John, the one who would usher in Jesus. I'm certain there were so many moments in Zechariah and Elizabeth's lives, and maybe in your life as well, where you've thought, I'm never going to do anything significant for God. My life is boring. My life is ordinary. I've made too many mistakes. I have too many regrets. What could God possibly do through me? Zechariah, good thing he didn't say, well, I'm just going to kind of coast into retirement. Nothing is really going to happen later on in my life. What if your most significant moments of your life and the most significant impact that you will make is ahead of you? Those of you that are nearing retirement or past retirement, it in Elizabeth's womb is John the Baptist who will look at Jesus and say, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Parents, grandparents, hear me say this. The most significant thing that you do in your life might not be something you do. It might be someone you raise. What if it's not about you? While we wait, God is working. God says your time is never wasted. Zachariah, and to you this morning, son or daughter, you have a much bigger part in God's story than you could ever imagine. You are anything but ordinary. And so a part of this story, ironically, is that after God answers their prayer, what do they get to do for the next nine months? Wait. <laughs> Wait. And because Zechariah, we learned earlier in the story, had a hard time trusting God, God says, I'm going to make you silent for the entire term of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And Elizabeth went, yes. No, it's not. That's not in there. But here, some of you wives are like, that would be awesome. Here we discover the second truth about waiting God's way, not controlling, not numbing it. When we wait, it forces us to learn to listen to God's heart. Zechariah can't spend the next nine months telling everybody how awesome he is and how he's going to be this great Bible hero one day and all these great things that he did for God to bless him with this. If you can't talk, all you can do is listen. And maybe that's what Advent is all about. I don't care if you grew up with Advent or not. 
It doesn't matter. You can be a part of this church whether you grew up in the church or not or whatever tradition you come from. I've talked to so many people from so many different church backgrounds. Advent is for everybody because God is calling us to wait, to learn to listen to his heart. And one of the byproducts of seasons of waiting, just like Rudy, is that we go and we're forced to listen to the heart of God. And we will find God there in the silence. And in our crazy, busy, loud world, It's not about whether God's speaking. It's about whether we are listening. Less noise, more silence. Less busyness during Advent, more worship. Less talking, more listening. Why did God silence Zachariah for those nine months? Because he says, I want you to trust me. And you learning to trust the heart of God is more important than any gift that I could give you. God is always trying to get our attention. What if the places of your deepest pain and deepest wounding were actually the staging points for God's best work? What if the places where you feel stuck or lost or confused in your life today is when God is actually getting ready to prepare you for a breakthrough? Amen? You can't give up. You can't quit. In your waiting, learn to trust the heart of God. Don't pull back from God. Run to God. And don't just stay in the why questions. Those are important to ask for a while. God, why are you making me go through this? God, why am I waiting for so long? At some point, would you allow your heart to shift to the what questions? God, what are you trying to teach me? God, what do you want to do in me in this season. And I don't know about you, but I need help with that. And sometimes the best way that God speaks to us is through other people and through trusted men and women that we surround ourselves with. I don't just stand up here and say, get in a small group because it's a good thing, just because we want to fill the slots. We're desperate for it. We were created for a relationship. Do you have people in your life that will tell you what you need to hear and not just what you want to hear? especially during the season, I cannot give a bigger encouragement. Go to a good faith-based Christian counselor and get some help. You don't have to do it alone. This is a hard season for so many people because they're waiting and they're longing and the, the holidays remind them of that. I've talked to so many people over the last couple months. One of the best things and one of the hardest things about being one of your pastors is I get to hear people's struggles and issues the entire week. And then I preach about it on Sunday. But it's real. And I've talked to so many people over the last couple months as we head into the holidays, especially men. And I say, have you told anybody about what you're going through? Well, no. Well, why not? Because I'm a guy and apparently I'm supposed to have feelings. I, don't, I haven't checked in a while, but I'm a guy and, well, I'm a Christian. If anybody should be going to counseling, it should be Christians because we've already made it pretty clear because of the cross, we are broken. We are desperate for Jesus. We are in need of a savior. We have issues. We are broken and we are messed up, amen? And so we're free to admit that. We're free to say that I need help and I don't have to hide anything because the church isn't a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. Turn to the person sitting next to you right now and say, you're messed up. Tell them that right now. You're messed up. Now turn back to him and say, and I mean that in a loving way. I mean that in a loving way, okay? It is okay. (laughs) Sometimes it's really hard to answer the what questions of life on our own, so get help. Hear me say this this Christmas season. If waiting is overwhelming for you and it's hard, ask for help. Please. Please don't try to do it on your own. I have talked to too many people that waited for far too long to ask for help. You can't quit. You can't give up. Breakthrough is coming. 
And nobody knows that better than Rudy. And as, I wa- as we watch the, the last scene in this movie, Rudy finally gets to suit up. And not only suit up, he gets to go in the game. If you're waiting for the perfect season to get in the game, don't wait. Because just like Rudy and just like Zachariah, you'll miss some of the best moments of your life. You'll miss what God has for you. It's time to get into the game. Let's take a look. You can't quit today. You can't give up. Because you're going to miss so much of what God has for you. And you think they're like, oh, John uses these cute little, you know, movie illustrations. That's, that's cute. Let's, let's get back to the Holy Spirit. A college-age gal came up to me after the 9 o'clock service today and said, I have been trying to get in to the University of Notre Dame for five years. And on Wednesday, I'm ready to get my sixth, sixth letter of denial. And I prayed with her right over there. I don't know what God might be speaking to you today, (laughs) whether it's to get help, that you don't have to do it by yourself, to not let bitterness get the best of you in this season of waiting. (laughs) But for some of you, I just want you to know this morning, God hasn't left you. And he's with you. And there is going to be a moment at the end of your life where you're not going to run on and make a great play in a football game. But there's going to be a moment in your life (laughs) where you're going to get lifted up on the shoulders of angels. And you're going to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And it's not going to be because you got everything you wanted. It's going to be because you became who God wanted you to be. Amen? (laughs) The results are God's job. Faithfulness is your job. And every single one of us can do that. Don't miss what God has for you. Don't wait until the perfect time to get in the game. It's time to be the church, Hope Elam. Don't give way to control or numbing the pain. God wants to heal you today, and that's his invitation for you. Not just for Rudy, not just for Zachariah. This is your story, and he's inviting you into it. Amen? Amen. Wherever you are, online, in the room, let's grab our communion kits together, and let's prepare our hearts. If you're at home, go ahead and grab that wine or that grape juice and let's stand together. If you're here in the room, grab your communion kit. Uh, The ushers have a few extras in the back, so just wave your hand to them. If you still need one, you've still got time. Uh, Before you open your kit, let's wait for it, if you would, as we prepare our hearts. And we remember that this isn't just a tradition or a ritual. We remember the story that it was on the night that he was betrayed when Jesus was with his closest friends and he took the bread. And he broke it and he gave thanks and he gave it to them saying, take and eat, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them saying, take and drink. This is the new covenant in my blood. This is my promise to you that I will wash you clean. Do this in remembrance of me. As we prepare to receive the elements, let's pray together the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Lord's prayer and the words will be before you on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. If you're at home, go ahead and take whatever bread or wafer that you have. You can, here in the room, take off the first layer and receive the wafer. This is the body of Christ, broken for you.
And then you can go ahead and take the second layer off or whatever you have at home, your wine or your grape juice, and receive the blood of Christ shed for you. And it is my honor and my privilege to now declare to you that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has forgiven you, that he loves you, that he has given you a fresh start in his grace, and he has set you free today to live for him and to worship him. Amen? That is good news. That is good news. And what I want to do is the same as earlier today, this morning. I, I want to extend the op opportunity. If there's any prayer partners in the house, if you would just come on up and be up here at the sides of the stage. If you are waiting on something and you're just about at the end of waiting, come on up and receive prayer. If God has fulfilled those desires, if you would answered a prayer, come on up and give God praise. Our prayer partners are here. They're ready for you. we got plenty of time if you want to come down from upstairs as well. We are here for you to pray with you, just to be silent, to pray out loud, whatever it is. The worship team is going to lead us in worship, and wherever you are, let's sing, and let's worship this God that keeps his promises. Come on up for prayer. Thanks so much for joining us. To find out more about Hope Elam, follow us on Instagram at hope.elam or visit our website at hope-elam.org.